Retail Revolution is a special limited podcast created specifically for retailing and service design, a unique course that is part of the Fashion Management Graduate Program at Parsons School of Design in New York City. Each episode features in-depth conversations with guest experts in omni-channel retailing with myriad perspectives, technology, consumer engagement, data analytics, merchandising, and more. We pay special attention to the short and long-term challenges and implications of COVID-19 and potential opportunities to rethink retail's future. Retail Revolution is produced by Joshua Williams and hosted by Christopher Lacey. Both are assistant professors in the School of Fashion at Parsons. Welcome to a very special two-part episode of Retail Revolution podcast, where we discuss all things pertaining to retailing and service design. Over the last five weeks, as part of the Retailing and Service Design class, we tasked our students with completing a retail and service design analysis of any brand of their choosing. They were then to present a detailed COVID-19 strategy for their selected brand with considerations around technology, merchandising, operations, and customer experience. Four students were selected as having presented top-notch strategic plans, and we have our second two here with us today to present their strategies and views on fashion retail's future. Welcome to the show, Emily Weens and Jessica Tai. How are you today? Hi, Chris. It's my honor to be here. Thank you. So nice to have you. How's it going today for you, Emily? Really good, thanks. Awesome. I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> We're excited to have you. I think this is this is what this has always been about. And so I think if we can give the opportunity to our students to have a voice and, and to talk about the things that they have experienced so far is really exciting and well worth it. So I want to kick it off, Jessica, to you and ask you, you know, t- to tell us about your experience up until now and what made you want to join the MPS Fashion Management Program at Parsons? Okay, so hi everyone. My name is Yuting Tsai and you can call me Jessica as well. So I'm from Taiwan and I majored in German and literature during my undergrad and after graduation, I worked as a PR for almost two and a half years. So basically, I was responsible for clients from many different industries, ranging from fast fashion technologies for the department stores. So my role is to organize press conference, runway shows, events, and to strategize the brand's messages by using different communication tools, such as influencer marketing and media pitching and so on. So I think the reason why I joined the Parson Fashion Management Program is because I always enjoy watching fashion shows when I was little and I enjoy shopping as well. So I think <laughs> the turning point, yeah, it might be like after I have serviced so many clients from different industry, I found out that I always enjoy working with clients from fashion because they are willing to try something new and also they are willing to experience new stuff. And furthermore, I don't really want to limit myself only in the marketing or communication fields. So I want to understand how the whole business operates in the big pictures. And that's why I think this program, like fashion management, it's perfect for me. Fantastic. I and mean, it's been a pleasure having you as part of this year's cohort. 
Emily, I'm going to kick it off to you. So tell us about you and and what made you want to join the program. Great. Yeah. So I've loved fashion in its many different forms since I was little and always wondered if I'd end up in the industry one day. But I have many different interests. So it wasn't until halfway through my business degree that I started seriously considering what that might look like. So I'm from Canada and the options are limited to where and what you can actually study as it pertains to fashion. But I came across an ad for the fashion management program at Parsons and I instantly knew I had to apply because it was the perfect combination of all my past experiences, studying business, working in tech and for the government. So yeah, it's an interesting time to be entering the industry because it's been known for a while now that things need to change and systems and structures that have been in place for decades have seen very little development and most of us are aware that improvements upon the treatment of its people and its impact on the environment are incredibly slow. So even though fashion is having this weird moment and change right now, it's one that's filled with opportunity for positive change. And I want to be a part of it and learn what type of leadership is needed to move it in the right direction. I love that you you said that, Emily. It segues great into what I want to talk with you both about, which is you are soon to be Parsons fashion management graduates. You still have a couple more classes throughout the summer. But I guess my question for you is, what are you nervous about as you approach the industry on your professional journey after this is done? Yeah, so my thoughts around graduating are obviously very different now than they were even two months ago. And I think the future is a big question mark for many people at the moment. And although I don't have any plans set in stone post-graduation, I feel more excited than nervous, I would say. The unknown has always been exciting for me because I think it's a better breeding ground for possibility and innovation. And given our current climate where many graduates are saying this is not the most opportune time to be looking for a job, which is true to some extent, depending on the industry you're in, I think the fashion management program has set me and my classmates up with the right tools to be successful and find work that is aligned with my passions and goals. And so all that being said, I guess I would say I'm most nervous to enter the industry and find leaders who are possibly resistant to this sort of change. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting because you... We, we talk about this a lot, which is the old systems and, and the need for new systems, as you, as you mentioned before. And so I think one of the things we have wanted to engage you all with and what you all have done a great job with bringing to us is how do we replace these old systems and create new systems that are beneficial to everyone on an ethical level, on a sustainable level, and bringing more awareness to the things that are wrong and providing a solution. So Jessica, my question is is the same to you, which would be, you know, is there anything you're nervous about? You already work in PR and, and know the industry on that side, but do you have any different thoughts now? Yeah, I kind of agree what Emily had said, that it's a common problem that everyone will face uh, in the, and like everyone will face right now because uh, it's a crazy time that, countless layoffs and unemployment, and it will be a um, super competitive environment with only limited vacancies. So I really think that, especially for international students like me, who is holding an F1 visa, who have a difficult time of finding a good job. But I think that overall, like Parsons, uh, like one of the good benefits of studying Parsons is that 
this course is very intensive, which equips us with knowledge range from production, technology, retail, and leadership, or even how to be an entrepreneur. So it's very multifaceted, and I've learned so much in this year. So I think I'm pretty ready to move on to the next level of my professional journey. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, now on to the, the nuts and bolts of, of this conversation. So, Jessica, can you tell us about the brand you chose to analyze and why? I picked Muji to analyze for the project. To be honest, it's not until the last day that I finally made up my mind and picked Muji. And the reason, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to be honest with you. And the reason why I picked Muji is because I prefer not to choose a fashion-related brand. And since I think that thinking outside of the box will boost the fashion dynamic. So then the other thing is that as I look on my desk, I just realized that I have bought so many Muji items. So Muji really has that magic that it gradually invading my life without me noticing it. So all of a sudden, I just realized I am a loyal customer of Muji. So that's the reason why I choose this brand. I really want to understand where and how this magic started. Very nice. So Emily, when it comes to your brand selection, what, what was your methodology? Right. So I chose Net-A-Porter because they are a significant leader in the e-commerce luxury space, as well as being a company that surpasses boundaries in regards to service for their customers and even just their level of operational complexity at which they function. So I figured it would be interesting to create a strategic game plan for them post-COVID because there wouldn't be as much low-hanging fruit compared to other retailers who are maybe... 10 steps behind where they need to be in order to make it to the other side of the pandemic successfully. And this isn't the case for everyone, obviously, but with Net-A-Porter, I knew I'd be challenged to create solutions that possibly no other retailer would have tried before. It was a big risk to go, this is an organization that does so much so well. And how am I going to find the opportunities in it? So can you tell me what were the opportunities you found when you we're doing this analysis for Net-A-Porter. Right. So the highlights I pulled from my analysis were centered around three initiatives, including more deciding power in the hands of the customer, transparency and inclusivity, and the emerging concept of well-fashion. So to stay relevant, luxury brands at large will need to create deeper and more meaningful engagement with their modern consumers and deliver a new range of personalized experiences and innovate both their business models and value propositions to fit this new modern digital infused lifestyle. So in short, Net-A-Porter needs to empower individual identities and expressions. And I think the future of luxury fashion will be more personalized than ever before. For example, it isn't just about having something made exclusively for your body, but it's more than that. And it's about how the customer chooses to experience it. When we, when we talk about someone, how they choose to experience it, when you were kind of looking at the landscape that was going on out there, do you feel like there, that there were companies out there doing that already where people really kind of, the choice of how they experienced a brand was really in their hands? That's a great question. I think in the luxury retail space, not as much. Mm -hmm. I think depending on the brand, 
I don't know. <laughs> this is a good question. <laughs> no, no, I'd say there's, yeah. there's no right or wrong. And I, you know, I, cause I think about things like that often because when we, you know, when we, when we're researching and, and putting things together for, you know, our students and, and just on our own, you kind of have that in the back of your head and, and people are like, you know, there needs to be a personalized approach and how do you make it more personal when we look at a, a customer experience design and then you think about well who does it really well and sometimes it's kind of hard to understand who does it really well so you know there is no no right, right or wrong answer i just wanted to know what you thought from the landscape jessica when you were working on your analysis for muji you and mm-hmm. i touched base a, a bit as you were kind of working it out and me being a fan of muji what did you notice as opportunities for for this organization so i think that muji really has its advantage, which is reflected in its simple product product development and good quality, and its uh, clean, organized store layout and design. So I think during this time, they it's a really good time for them to recommunicate this brand aesthetic to the customers. But however, I found that that after the analysis I've done, they really have to improve its customers' experience as well as the omni-channel experience because. The arrivals in the U.S. are too strong, such as Amazon is offering Prime membership and IKEA is investing in virtual reality and Home Depot is doing so great on Omnichannel. So I think there are so many rooms for Muji to really like uh, focus on. Don't know if anyone noticed that you mentioned Home Depot mm-hmm. relative to this Omnichannel approach to business. And I don't know that many would would have looked to Home Depot when doing an analysis and then creating a strategy for a fashion brand. So let's let's go into your strategy a bit and, and give us some highlights on why you why you looked to Home Depot to come up with some of your strategy for Muji. I think um, to start a strategy that customized for Muji, the first thing you have to do is to check what is your resource and understand your strength. So uh, compared to the competitors, I think that Home Depot really pulled off and it's omni-channel experience. So I kind of like played it into it's Muji's competitor. I managed to strategize for Muji that I also have to take the external factors such as the uh, psychological aspect of the customers and its behavioral changes to, into consideration because I used to read the study that it would take 21 days for people to form a new habit. So after being kept at home for weeks, there must be some behavioral changes to some extent for the customers. So I think the first thing for Muji's to start from is that they really have to invest in the mobile self-checkout system in the store and launch its Muji app. And the best thing is to combine these two together because you know, customers will bring their phones everywhere and if they can place the product whenever they are, they can minimize the need to interact with others if they are still afraid of doing it. And, and secondly, I also think that uh, launching the app and also update a new self-checkout system, there's a need to upgrade its backend side to support the changes. So I'll recommend Muji to strengthen its order management system and to cooperate with company like SAP to improve its system. And lastly, I also recommend Muji to build a C2C community 
And my idea is that I'll name this community as Muji Cider, and which is a combination of Muji and Insider. And it is a platform supported by Muji that customers can post their reviews and decoration. And Muji will reward the little engagement with shopping points. So it's a platform that Muji can fully incorporate in simple and understated ethos to the customers. Yeah, I, I have to say, I, I appreciated when I saw that in your strategy, the the C2C business model that's there. And I think anyone who has ever engaged in a Muji store, one of the things that's interesting about it is that it is, it's beautifully simplistic, right? It is that understated lifestyle, right? And, and I think when you go into it, you don't really recognize like how many cool things you can buy. But to your point, you realized all of a sudden you were a true client of Muji as you looked on your desk. And then the same thing happened to me. I realized that I had bought between candles, they have that steam thing that Mm-hmm. smells than I there's bought that too. <laughs> I, it's it's wild my hoodies I, like I've, I've bought more than an, I, I buy tons of hoodies but I Muji brings you into this world of of elegant simplicity at a great cost and so creating this community of people would really be beneficial to them Emily when, when you talk about Net-A-Porter and you saw those opportunities where did you even begin with, with your strategy? So one of the proposed initiatives I recommended for the company to implement would be an addition to their EIP or Extremely Important Persons Loyalty Program. There is a growing trend for personal nutritionists, dietitians, and life counselors that are projected to grow 11% from 2018 to 2028, which is much faster than the average for all occupations. So in the EIP program, members could have the option to opt in for a monthly meeting with their choice of nutritionist, dietitian, or life counselor that are partnered with the company. This option communicates to the customer that Net-A-Porter is serious about them as an individual and desires to see their physical and mental state continually improving. And this promotion of holistic health also empowers their customers to invest in themselves on more than just a material level. And so although on the surface, this appears to be a giant leap into the healthcare industry, which is something that fashion is really intersecting with right now, Net-A-Porter has the opportunity to be a leader and make the transition more naturally than any other luxury retailer could, just because of the service that they offer. And additionally, this would align with predicted trends of consumers wanting more than just an article of clothing to purchase and instead wanting to spend money on products that make them feel safe and taken care of. So that's where I began with my strategy was just in the direction of well fashion and the focus on mindfulness and well-being. I think and believe that that is what the Net-A-Porter customer is really looking for. So yeah, started there and then just an improvement upon their services and details that they already offer. So I think for companies to be successful in the next three to five years, I think having a very uh, coherent mission and value statement and having the brand be completely transparent in how they're realizing those values in their everyday customer service is so necessary and so key. So I, I basically just went through each of their core values and developed different strategies to help them adhere to those values that they initially set out when they launched. 
you know I have a huge smile on my face right now because you just said that, right? <laughs> Amazing. Because I, I must have, for those of you listening who don't know, I probably talk about mission statements and core value, agnosium, and how that plays a role into service design. So Emily, what I want to ask you is, when, when you're thinking about and, and you're talking about this holistic approach and this idea of wellness and mindfulness, which is, is extremely important, how important do you think this is going to be when we come out of this and start engaging post-COVID-19? How top of mind will this be, not just for Net-A-Porter, but for every brand? I think it will be extremely necessary A, because as we're entering the recession also, customers are going to be more aware of how they're spending their dollars. I think people will still be spending. And we've talked, or I've heard people talking about this in previous podcasts as well, but people will be very aware of how they're spending their money and still spending, but just choosing more diligently. Okay, I still want to spend my money on clothes, but also what's the value it's going to add to my life? And that relationship between the brand and the consumer will just have to be built on trust and transparency and something that isn't just based on oh I need more and more clothes it's more about yeah just what else can it add to my life when you think about and Jessica I'm going to ask you this as well but Emily what do you think retailers are getting wrong then when it comes to engaging with the youth culture and that mindset Mm -hmm. I think it really boils down to building trust and retailers, I think should be asking themselves how they're demonstrating this commitment to youth and staying in tune with them on, you know, not just a quarterly basis, but even monthly or weekly. And youth today are multifaceted and fluid in how they identify themselves, which gives retailers an opportunity to tap into their passions in unexpected ways. I think sometimes brands will make a quick fix experience to give their customers where the idea is on the right track and wanting to merge physical and digital experiences for them, but they're doing something that's expected and maybe has already been done. So brands like Kith and Airbnb are great examples of engaging not just youth, but their whole customer base in unpredictable ways. And youth are also very interested in how companies came to be and how they started and why they exist. And so I think the storytelling will also, you know, mesh with that whole concept and be very, very prevalent. And more than ever, brands are becoming a sort of religion for them. And this is why it comes back to that initial piece of trust. And trust is what builds a lasting relationship. And I think that and communication. So yes, To summarize, it'll be important to create constant touch points so youth are able to live and breathe the brand. And this can be through physical and digital or hybrid of the two, just to keep retail fresh and exciting for them. Yeah, I I agree with you completely on that, where it is storytelling is going to be extremely important, more so now than, than ever before, because there's a saturation of product that's out there and and people want to connect to a story. Jessica, what do you think retailers are getting wrong when it comes to engaging this youth culture? So I think there are several characteristics in the youth culture. For example, the young generation like Gen Z, they are growing where the internet is the norm and they have cell phones since they are little. So 
basically their search capability is really strong. So they can really tell what is true or fake when it comes to like news. So in my opinion that brands might do something wrong in the way like how they communicate with the young people. For example, they might find bunches of popular influencers to market the new products, but actually they didn't really market to the young customers' emotional touch points. So I think it's really important for the brands to create a link between the brand and the young customers. They really have to be one step ahead of the younger customers. In order to do that, they really have to gather their insights and communicate with them. So for example, I think what Valentino is doing really great right now, that they are investing is runway collection in Animal Crossing. So this is a very popular Switch game during the quarantine. So youth culture really has a strong network. So if word of mouth is built in the youth culture, it will be spread out like virally. So that customers might not know the history of the brand, but this is how they start to know about the brands and gradually creating their desires. So whenever they have the ability to buy the products, they will buy it because this brand is a childhood memory. So there's already a link that deeply lies in the young customers' minds. So I think my suggestion for them is like, overall, the brands have to speak the same language to the young customers and to be really authentic. Before you started in this program, did you view the fashion retail world in this way? Or have you found yourself being more critical of it? And, and I'm going to send this to Jessica first. <laughs> you mean to be critical about fashion retailer? Yeah. 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 Are you more critical yeah. now? Yeah, because to be honest, that I really didn't care a lot of things for sustainability or like authenticity before entering this this program because I have learned so much from the guest speakers and I realized that, oh my God, I didn't realize anything of it and it is so important to our environment and lots of aspects. So I think I'm, I'm <laughs> I kind of feel things in different angles right now. <laughs> That's great. I mean, right, yeah. to, to be able to have a, a global perspective. Yeah. Emily, did it change anything for you? Are you more critical? <laughs> Yes, I, <laughs> I would say I'm definitely more critical because I think before the program, if I just kind of flip myself onto the consumer side and not looking at it through a management lens, I would passively take in this experience from retailers and not really think about it. But now looking back on all my you know, past experiences with brands, realizing how subconsciously my I would make decisions and it was based on authenticity or transparency or inclusivity even though even if I wasn't putting language to it mm -hmm. so I think that's been a really interesting switch where now that I'm more on the other side of it I can see which brands are being real which ones are being fake I'm like thinking about it definitely through a more critical lens but yeah I think it's been a good switch. <laughs> Look, I even though I've been in the industry for years, 20 plus years, coming into this role and engaging with all of you, I actually think 
of brands and retail more critically. And I, I came from the industry, right? And so it's it's one of those things where like it forces you to think about things in such a different way. But the cool thing about it is that when you're thinking of it in a different way, you're also coming up with cool solutions at the same time, like things that you never would have thought about become a solution. You know, I, I think even when we talk about leveraging technology and, and how we want to leverage augmented reality, that's something I kind of never thought that much about, you know, before now. So it's been nice to kind of have these things that force you into to thinking differently. If someone was considering joining this particular program, the MPS Fashion Management Program at Parsons, what would you tell them? <laughs> yes, this is my favorite conversation. It's, uh, I've actually had a few prospective students for, for the program reach out to me via Instagram or LinkedIn asking really? about awesome. my experience. Yeah, and I think it always comes back to the same three things in each conversation. But A, this program takes you on a deep dive into every aspect of the industry concerning management whether you're in a position where you're trying to sort out what you're truly passionate about or where your strengths lie, or if you're wanting to be ahead of the curve when it comes to industry practices and the direction it's moving towards, I would say this is one of the few programs globally that actually provides this opportunity to learn about it. But B, it's also about so much more than what you learn in the classroom. You will be given endless opportunities to connect with major industry leaders, visit company headquarters, and have access to incredible events and networks. And you will be given the space to apply everything you're taking in, which is so important. And lastly, C, I believe this to be the most important part of the program for me personally, but it would be the mentorship I've received through just our incredible program director, Keenan Dufty, and our professors <laughs> and our mentors that we were matched with through the mentorship program. I felt like you guys have all been in my corner since day one. And I just feel like you do take the extra measure to help us succeed. And so, yeah, I knew from the get-go that these would be relationships that go way beyond my year of studying fashion management and that's something that not every program provides. I think very few programs actually provide this. So yeah, those are my thoughts. Awesome. Awesome. So I w- want to ask you, when you started this program, did you have an idea of what area of the industry you wanted to work in? And is it still the same now or has it changed? I, yeah, I had no idea. And I think it's because I didn't have any sort of background in fashion. I just had an awareness of the industry. Mm -hmm. And because I can easily get excited about a lot of different aspects of it. And this program kind of gave me the opportunity to explore what, what actually fits my personality and my strengths. I think sometimes you can think you're good at something and then you can like kind of, you know, put that hat on for a little bit and you realize, oh, this actually isn't really a good fit for, for me or me. Story of my life. Totally. And so I think variety is the spice of life and this program really, you know, gives you that opportunity to explore. And now, I mean, we have three months left in the program and I think I've, just developed a love for each aspect. So no, I guess I'm not any further in my position (laughs) of which direction I want to go. But I can say that in terms of just being in the industry itself, it feels like a good fit. 
but nothing, nothing specific yet. Okay. Jessica, what would you tell uh, a student considering joining the program? I think, first of all, the professors are very knowledgeable and super helpful and well-connected. I can really feel how dedicated they are and how they want to make our tuition worthy. So I really appreciate that because they produce a whole retail course within such a short time so that students can adapt to the sudden changes in remote learning. So I was from a marketing background, but I really learned a lot from different perspectives within the fashion industry. So I think for people who wants to explore something that is not in your comfort zone, it is a really good choice because you can learn so much from different aspects and you can get to know people in the industry as well. There are so many guest speakers. And I think that New York is a city filled with opportunities. For example, I was able to be part of the New York Fashion Week that I couldn't imagine myself doing so a year before. And due to this program, I was able to connect with my mentor in the industry. So yeah, this program not only provides academic knowledge, but also connections and opportunities. It's a really good program. So do you you think you'll stay in PR or is there another part of the industry that's interested you now or... Oh, actually, I was kind of interested in the retail side because I remember you have said before that retail operation is kind of like the heart of the whole company and because it can touch (laughs) a different aspect too. I'm biased because I worked in operations, so somebody else (laughs) might not agree. (laughs) Yeah, but I really want to try the retail part, but I'm also open to like different aspects because I can really apply to what I have learned in the more practical world. That's awesome. But the retail side is fun because it's always changing and, and got to be on your toes. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank both of you for giving us your time today. I want to thank you so much for your hard work, the amazing strategies you put forward and the thought you put into this project. We wish you luck on the next three months. And, and we know that that you will be producing more amazing presentations and products and ideas for us in the future. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for thank having us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Retail Revolution. A very special thank you to everyone who has helped make this podcast possible. Our guests, our students, and fellow faculty at Parsons School of Design, especially in such an extraordinary and unprecedented time. Our theme music was composed by Spencer Powell. Be well and stay tuned for our next episode.